I entitled the message this morning with Jesus with or without Jesus with or without. So let's take a look at verses one and two. And it says, and he got into a boat and he crossed over and he came to his own city. Then behold, they brought him a paralytic laying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. So here we have Jesus just finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. And and then, you know, he goes across and he goes over in chapter eight in a boat and then he comes back. So ministry was um, out in the open, kind of like we see this morning. But here it says he got into a boat and we got to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh. Um, So let's take a look, you know, turn the page back to chapter eight. We're going to take a look a little bit at Jesus. Matthew eight and verse one. It said that he after he preached a sermon on the mound, he came down from the mountains and a lot of people followed him. In verse 3, we see that Jesus had the power to heal uncurable diseases. He had no limitations. He had the power over sickness. In verses 6 through 10, we see Jesus had the power to heal people without physically being in the same location. He would merely say a word. In verse 14 through 15, he goes down to Peter's house and, he, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And so it says that he touched her. He touched her hand and she rose that very moment and ministered unto them. Verse 16 tells us that Jesus healed many. He had no limitations. You know, he couldn't, he could, he, he, he had no stopping. He, he could keep going all day. Verse 17 tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures of the, of the book of Isaiah. It's where it says he took himself our infirmities and he bore our sickness. In verse 22 of chapter 8, Jesus knows that those who follow him will always have a problem committing to him. You know, he hears the excuses, but Jesus knows our excuses for not fully following him because a lot of disciples don't fully follow him. We make excuses why we cannot fully serve God. And Jesus knows this. And we see this in verse 22 in verse 27. Jesus is in a boat and he's sleeping. And they marvel because they think they're going to be perishing. They're they're worried about the circumstances that they're in. And with the very words of his mouth, he has the power over the winds and the sea and they obey him. Man, Jesus is a mighty God. So in verse 29 through 32, Jesus has the power to cast out demonic spirits by the word. See, Jesus has the power to make demons tremble and he has the authority to command them to go and they will go. So Jesus is all powerful. You know, they cried out and they said to Jesus, 
What have we to do with you, Jesus? Have you come to torment us before our time? In verse 29. So, the last thing we see in 28 is they didn't want Jesus around. And a lot of times people want Jesus around when uh, when it's necessary, but they really, when it comes to com- conflicting their lifestyles or what they're into, they would rather have Jesus somewhere else. Go away. But we see in scriptures that Jesus doesn't stay where he's unwanted. He leaves. He willfully leaves. So the miracles here in chapter 8 are not an isolated incident. They're not an isolated incident. Jesus wasn't just a great moral teacher. He wasn't a just a religious or charismatic leader. But Jesus is God put on flesh, as we see in John chapter 1 and verse 14. The scriptures tell us who Jesus is. He's God who put on flesh. He put on flesh and walked among us. But here in in verse 1 in chapter 9, it said he got into a boat and he crossed over. You see, Jesus didn't depend on the prerogatives, the privileges of heaven, his divine attributes to make his life any easier. He got tired. He went across the, the sea and then he came back. He rode all night. He ministered all day. And he slept when he got tired because he was exhausted in the work to which he was called. But he didn't use his divine privileges or prerogative or his divine attributes to make his life easier. And it says he came to his own city. And so I got to say, what city? Because. Is it Bethlehem? He was born in Bethlehem. Was it Nazareth? But here it's speaking of the seaport city of Capernaum where Jesus did most of his ministry but where was Jesus's own city see Luke chapter 23 verse 42 the thief of the cross on the cross had an idea where Jesus was from because we all have an idea where Jesus is from but the thief in the cross said Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom he knew where Jesus was from He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus also makes it clear in John chapter 18, verse 36, when Jesus answered and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight and I would be delivered. But my kingdom is not from here. My kingdom is not from here. So. He said, my kingdom. But we do know that he was born in Bethlehem, according to Luke chapter 2 and verse 15, fulfilling the prophecy of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. We know for a while that he lived in Egypt, according to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 14. And somewhere he lived there for about three to seven years. And then his parents When Herod died, he goes and and they come and they bring him to Nazareth, fulfilling the prophecy, which it says in Matthew chapter two, verse 23, that he shall become be called a Nazarene. So the city here is mentioned is most likely Capernaum, 
where Jesus did many good works. A lot of times I say, you know, when people ask me, where are you from? Sometimes I'll say I'm from Covina because this is where I work. This is where I spend a lot of my time, even though I'm raised in Azusa. But remember, Jesus didn't do many miracles in Nazareth. And there was a reason for that. Because of their unbelief. You see, Jesus will not do miracles where there is unbelief. But in Capernaum, man, they believed in Jesus. And it can be said of our own hearts. Jesus won't do many mighty works where there is unbelief. And here in verse 2, we see that there were many eyewitnesses here. This thing wasn't this thing was done openly. It was public. As it says, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. You see, it's unlike the modern faith healers or faith teachers who claim, um, you know, to heal people, but it's very vague. You know, it's not so with Jesus. It's there's no it's public where everyone can see it's well documented and historically as well. Even secular historians have wrote about the amazing things Jesus has done. So when it comes to modern faith teachers or faith healers, church, we need to have discernment. We need to balance the scriptures and say, what does the scripture say and what are they saying and what are they teaching? Are they vague? Are they like Jesus's things out in the open? But notice here when it in verse two, that Jesus, it says, saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith. You see, faith isn't blind. Faith is seen in our actions. Your faith is seen in your actions. It's not a feeling. It's not a state of mind. It ain't the warm fuzzies. There's evidence to our faith. And that's obedience. Obedience to God's word. But also notice here that Jesus ignored the obvious. He, he ignored the obvious problem. And he said here in the last part of verse 2, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. So Jesus ignores the obvious. Jesus can heal the man. There's no doubt we see this in chapter 8. But he ignores the obvious. But Jesus is addressing the bigger problem first. You see, Jesus did the same thing to Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus came to him by night. And he would came to him asking Jesus questions. But Jesus didn't answer his question. Jesus went straight to the bigger question. In John chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3, it says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, even the religious rulers knew. He said, no one could do the signs you do unless God is with them. Man, there's something amazing in you. And Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you. One is born again. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus avoided the obvious. He went to the bigger question. He went to the bigger question of salvation. Salvation. You see. I'm going to explain. Being born again real quickly. 
In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, when God created us, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them perfect in his likeness, according to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. So we see through scriptures that uh, God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in Adam and Eve, they were created in his likeness and perfect and perfection. They were created body, soul, and spirit. But God said, in the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Now, did they die immediately? No, but they did die that day. They died spiritually. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. Jesus goes to the biggest and the bigger and the most important question. Are you saved? You see, God promised there's death through sin. But we, we are told in Romans chapter 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth, believe in Jesus, you know, we can become born again. We see this in John chapter 3 and verse 3. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, speaking to the Christians, he said, You he made alive who were dead in sins and trespasses. So there's a bigger question when it comes to the obvious. You know, Jesus isn't really worried about the surface. He's worried about the eternal state of man. Where are you going to spend eternity? But let's read verses 3 through 4. And it says, And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, Speaking of Jesus, this man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Let me read that again. So some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? So the first point is the scribes said within themselves. But Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're venting under their breath. But you see, he also knows what we're thinking. He knows our thoughts. But Jesus even points to the motivation of what they were thinking. He says, you're thinking evil in your hearts. So Jesus knows the motivation of our hearts. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're uttering under our lips. But here in verse 5, Jesus uses a rhetorical question to make a point Because the scribes, these scribes were right in their theology. They were right in their theology to point out that only God could forgive man's sins. Only God can forgive sins. So he says here in verse 5, for which is it is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say arise and walk. Basically, everyone can anyone can say your sins are forgiving you without showing any evidence to verify that it actually happened. But here, Jesus is making a point. But here in verse six, he says, but that you may know that the son of man has the power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed Go to your house. So here basically Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you overwhelming evidence to what kind of power 
he has. He's going to give here the evidence of the magnitude of his authority. He's basically saying, watch and see who you are talking to you. Then Jesus uttered these words. And as Jesus uttered these words, verse 7 says, immediately he arose and he departed to his house. Immediately. He didn't have to wait. Immediately he was healed on the spot. Jesus verifying the claims that he made. He made claims, but he backed them up with evidence. And at this moment, verse 8 shows us the reaction to this little scene. Look at the reaction. It says, Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and they glorified God who had given such power to men. Man, they, they marveled. So here are some points to ponder from this text. As Christians, we are called to be like Jesus. But we see in Scripture Jesus going further. Jesus being diligent. Jesus meeting the needs of others. And Jesus ministering to people. To be a Christian is to be Christ-like. We need to pray for that kind of heart. That we would have the heart and do the things that Jesus has done. Number two. We need to be like the friends here in verses 2. We're called to be like the friends. They have a great example here of bringing people to Jesus. You know, we, we're called to make an effort to get them to Him. Are we making an effort to bring people to Jesus, our friends? He saw their faith. Number three, remember, God will use things in their life. Maybe some handicap. Maybe some issue, maybe some problem is going on with our loved ones to bring them to the place where he will meet their greatest need. And will also help them with their other needs as well in his timing. You see, he doesn't meet the obvious thing first. But he goes to the important things. Are we bringing people to Christ? Number four, know him. Man, the scribes, they knew Jesus. But they didn't have an intimate personal relationship with him. They knew about him. Even Nicodemus knew. Man, God was doing a great thing in, in, through Jesus. But he didn't know Jesus. You see, we're, as Christians, we're called to spend time with him. Spend time with the Lord. Be in the Word. That's the only way we're going to spend time with Jesus. By being in the Word. Has He made His home in our hearts? Look at the difference between Nazareth and Capernaum. He did many mighty works there. Because of their belief, their faith in Him. You ask yourself the question. Are mighty works being done in here? Because the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Am I more like Capernaum or am I like Nazareth? Lord, is there unbelief? I, I love where Jesus said, do you think to one of the men that he healed, 
Do you think I could heal you? He goes, I believe, but help my unbelief. He was honest. Are there mighty works done in my heart? You see, Nazareth was unbelieving. It was cynical. Unlike Capernaum, where there were mighty works. How do we know that people had faith in Capernaum? They brought their friend to Jesus. He was the object of their faith. And they brought him to Jesus. Number five, is your faith seen in the way you live? Is your faith seen in the way you live? Is it seen in how you serve? You know, remember in chapter eight, I mentioned Peter's mother. When Jesus touched Peter's mother, what does she do? She gets up immediately and serves him. Are you serving him? How about this man he just healed here in this portion of Scripture? When Jesus healed him, what did he do? He obeyed him. Am I obeying him? You see, he has touched us. Are we serving? He's speaking to us. Are we obeying him? Six point. Be careful what you're thinking. Be careful of your thought life. Why? Because he knows all things and he knows our intentions. Number seven. Learn how to talk like Jesus. Learn how to talk like Jesus. And how do I learn how to talk like Jesus? Spending time with Jesus. You know, a lot of. A lot of these things, these interactions Jesus is having here in the scriptures, they're, they're, they're giving him gotcha questions. And Jesus, man, he's so masterful in how he speaks. He doesn't answer the question. He'll answer a question with a question to make them think. I want to be more like Jesus. We have to learn to be more like Jesus. And you become more like a person when you spend time with him. I want to encourage you be in the word. Spend time with him. Eighth point. Pray that we would see God transforming people's lives like this magnet, this this multitude saw it. You know, we could see God changing lives. I've seen it. I've seen God changing people and I want to see it more. Ninth point. I want to be a witness. I want to marvel at his work. So I have to have faith that he can do it. Do we have faith this morning that he could do it? Are we like the people of Nazareth? Or are we like the people of Capernaum that are coming to him by faith that we may marvel at his work? May we glory and then we will glory in his in him and then we will praise him. And I would love to see that. I would love to see marvelous works. I would love to see the glory of God in our midst. And I would see I would love to see the outpouring of praise as a reaction. But the 10th point. It said now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men, given such power to men. You see, Jesus isn't done. Jesus isn't done. 
I entitled the message, message Jesus with or without. Because with him, man, amazing things happen. But without him, I'm going to miss out. We could go through life with or without Jesus. We could be in the same location as him, but we can't. We, we will miss out on experiencing uh, the work of God in our lives and the lives of others. You see, God has called us as his followers to be partakers of his continuing work. See, God wants us to, Jesus wants to be, us to be partakers of his work. He just doesn't want us to be witnesses of his work, but also partakers with him. A partaker is one who enters into fellowship and joins himself to an associate and makes himself a partner. A partner to communicate and also distribute as part of the ministry. Remember, Jesus told his disciples or his followers in John chapter 14 and verse 15 through 17. Jesus said to his followers, this includes you and me today. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In verse 26 of that same chapter, it says, But when the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus said, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. Man, Jesus wants to speak to us. He wants to minister to us. He comes and takes residence in us. And he wants to do a mighty work. He wants to do a mighty work. But you see, there's a difference between Nazareth and Capernaum. There's a place of belief and unbelief. There's a place of, of action and inaction. There's a place of rejecting Jesus. And obeying Jesus. But remember before departing. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24 verse 49. And Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus said. And now I will send the Holy Spirit. Just as my father has promised. But stay here in the city. Until the Holy Spirit comes. And fills you with power from heaven. But what were the conditions for for God to fill them with power? It's obedience. He simply told them, go and wait in a specific place. And so when we read the Bible, we're hearing a sermon. I simply need to be obedient to those simple things that I understand. And then he will do the greater work. Obedience. Acts 1.8 says, as Jesus, right before he descended, ascended into heaven, he said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, until the ends of the earth. 
You see, with or without Jesus. With or without Jesus. In closing, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 14. Because we could have a relationship with Jesus that's very just historical. You know, we know who uh, Jefferson are. We know who uh, Abraham Lincoln is. They're historical figures. We know them. But we don't have a personal relationship with them. Is our belief in Jesus just... Is he just a historical figure like those guys? Or is he, do I have a personal relationship with him? Because he's alive. He's on the throne. He still wants to minister. He still wants to do a great work of his spirit in you. But here in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14 through 21, it says for this reason, Paul here was giving the reasons for Christians to put their faith and trust in Jesus and the work of his spirit in their lives. He gave three, three, um, two, two chapters on the reasons. And now he's saying for this reason. Verse 14, for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Man, that he, number one, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Are you missing out? Am I missing out? I, I have to ask that question. Am I missing out, Lord? What's hindering me? As I was reading this week in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 10 and verse 11, if there's sin in my life, I could be missing out on being a partaker of divine, uh, a divine work in my life. Man, I, I need to get right. Or maybe there's unbelief. I could come as that one whom Jesus healed. Lord, help my unbelief. And he will, as we're honest with him. Am I missing out? Number two, it says to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. I got to ask myself, am I lacking spiritual strength? Or you could ask yourself, are you where you should be? 
with the Lord. If you're not, recognize that and come to the Lord. Lord, I'm lacking spiritual strength. I'm weak. I'm needy. Have I been there? Absolutely. I've been there just recently. I've been there lacking spiritual strength. Having a woe is me attitude. Getting too busy in other things to spend time with Jesus. I'm reading and sometimes even you could be going through the motions of going to church, reading a devotion without any personal impact in your life. Am I lacking spiritual strength? You have to ask that question. Jesus knows your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're struggling through. But he wants to do a work of his spirit in you. And he wants to strengthen you through his spirit in the inner man, in the inner you, in the inner you. Number three, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So is your faith growing? Is your faith growing? Are you rooted and grounded? And are you in love with Jesus this morning? Are you in love with Jesus? You know what? I need to spend more time with him. Usually we spend time with people we love. Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you reading? Are you letting him speak to you? Are you talking to him? You see, the first fourth point is. Paul was saying. That you may be able that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge. Are you comprehending? Are you comprehending? Are the scriptures, are the studies that you read becoming your own? Or am I just reading something on the page of history? Or is it becoming personal? You know, it should be personal. Jesus wants a personal relationship with you. And as you read the scriptures, it'll personally pertain to what you're going through at this current moment. I read the Bible many times, but as I open the scriptures, you know, it's like this was for today. And I was I'm like, wow, I read this uh, 10 years ago, man. But this is for me today. It pertains to what I'm going through right now. And it's amazing, you know. He will open your understanding. I love David's prayer in Psalms 119, verse 18, as, as he prayed, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wondrous works from your law. You see, God will open the scriptures to you. But he won't work where there's no faith. He won't work where there's no obedience. You'll be lacking You'll be missing out. Are you desiring to know the love of Christ more? Get into the word. Fifth point. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. Where are you? Are you partially full? Are you half full? Are you overflowing? Man, I want want to be overflowing. You know, we need to pray. Lord, I want to. I want to be overflowing. It says that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Are you full? 
Are you overflowing? Is the abundance of your life uh, an outpouring of God's work in your life? I want to be there. I want God to do more in me, and I want God to do more in you. Do you believe this? Do you believe he can? And I do. But do you? But do you? You see, if Jesus has taken residence in your heart, is there unbelief or is there faith? He does many mighty works where there's faith. Sixth point. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Here it says that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. You know what I say to this? I say to this, Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. Have your way in me. Have your way in your people. And in verse 21, it says, to him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations. That means you and me. It didn't st- the work of Christ and the miracles and the, and the power of God working in people's life didn't stop there. Scripture says to all generations. That includes you and me. So we have choices. We have choices to make. We could have a life with or without experiencing the work. We're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves is a gift of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But I want to see God work in my life. I want to just say, I want, I want to abandon everything now and just say, Lord, have your way. You know, as we sung that song, Lord, have your way with me. Have, do we honestly say that? Lord, have your way. Lord, you know, let me forget all the things in this temporal world that are go- is going on. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Help me to not make excuses like the disciples anymore. And just say, Lord, have your way for these reasons. Because you're so good to me. We have choices. You see... At the last part of Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37 through 38, Jesus doing all these miracles. He looked at all the people and he tells his disciples, he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. Jesus wants to do a work. But he wants to use you. He wants to use you. But that takes your time spending with him. Number one. Number two, the power of the Holy Spirit upon your life. And God will use you. Why? How do I know? Because it says it right here. And remember, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord, and we just thank you for this text father we thank you for matthew chapter 8 which shows us christ shows us giving of himself going the distance to reach others 
rowing boats and spending late nights in ministry and early mornings with in prayer, touching people's hearts. Father, we thank you for not just fixing our obvious problems, but our most important and the greatest need that each one of us have is salvation. Father, we pray for a conviction of your spirit. Father, that we would recognize the state of our own hearts. Father, that we would recognize that we, if we do not have a relationship with you, Lord, that today would we would make it right. That we would simply say, Father, forgive me of my sins. I recognize, I know you know what I'm thinking and you know what I have done. That we would recognize where we're at and we would repent and turn to you. That you would meet our greatest need of salvation. That you would meet that which is most important. And Father, I thank you that you're a God who also takes care of the obvious, Lord. Father, there are things in our lives that we need help. Father, we pray, Lord, for that work of your spirit, that touch in each one of us, Lord. Father, may we have a faith that's growing. Father, that we would experience you and your work inwardly and outwardly. Father, may we not be short-sighted to miss out in the marvel the marvelous work that you desire to do today in each one of us, Lord. Lord, we pray, have your way in us, Lord. We pray for these promises that you promise to make your home in us. You promise to bring to remembrance the things that you've taught us. You promise to fill us with power to live in such a way that we would glorify you, that we would serve you. And that we would overcome, Lord. We pray, Father, all these things that Paul mentioned here in the text as well. That we would be filled with the fullness of Christ. Father, that we would marvel at the continued work. And Lord, Father, may it start today. Father, may the revival take place in each one of us this morning. And Father, may we continually desire to be with you. Because as we see in the scriptures, being with you, we don't miss out on the great things that you do. Lord, bless your people more than they could ask or think. And Father, we pray, Lord, for the power of God to rest upon them and and work in each one of their lives. And we pray this in faith believing that you're more than able in jesus name we all say amen well i believe that i'm i'm looking forward to what the lord does and uh at this time you know let's